You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to worship you for all that you are. We're grateful for the privilege to join our voices together, not just here in this room, but with thousands of others who long before we awoke this morning rose where they were to praise your name together as your people. We pray we would be in awe of your glory and your majesty, that we would receive the joy that you have come to bring, Lord Jesus. And that our hearts would be filled with awe and with worship. Help us now as we come to your word, that we'd continue in worship and that you'd continue to teach and build up your people for your glory and for our joy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, River City. Welcome to the first Sunday in Advent. Our our preaching calendar over these next few weeks will follow kind of a more traditional liturgical calendar. And so beginning this last Sunday in November and all the way through till Christmas, we are in the season of Advent. Now, culturally, the move towards Christmas tends to be marked by things like peppermint lattes and Christmas music playing on maybe way too many radio stations. I don't know if if you're like a wait till after Thanksgiving or you've been playing Feliz Navidad for a month. I don't know. But we have at least a month of it to go, right? But for us, as, as followers of Jesus, Advent is far more than just its external expressions. Advent, at least our hope, Advent would be for us a thoughtful and worshipful move toward Christmas. And at Christmas, more than just Uh, empty tradition, we want to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the the eternal Son of God. At his first advent, at his first appearing, Jesus came in the flesh. The eternal Son, while maintaining his perfect divine nature, took on a human nature as well, fully God and fully man. Jesus became incarnate in the flesh And in so doing, he was able to fulfill all of God's righteous law and then gave himself as a perfect atoning sacrifice to save his people from their sin and to give us eternal life. That's what we're celebrating when we think about Christmas. And so for Christians, every time we look back at the already of Jesus' first advent, for us it also carries with it a a not yet, an anticipation For Jesus' second advent, when he comes, as the song says, when he will come back, not as a baby, but as the Lord of every man. So for us, not only does Christmas time bring with it all kinds of nostalgia and tradition, which many of those things can be really good. They can anchor us to good gifts of God, like family or a legacy of faith that that we might partake of. But the reality also for us is that this season carries with it a lot of stress and maybe even for some a lot of pain. 
Thanksgiving and Christmas and this window of time becomes a time when we tend to be keenly aware of those who used to be with us who aren't with us, right? Sometimes this time of family and together is actually the time when we might even feel the most alone. So as I've been thinking about the next few weeks and how the Lord might want to encourage us as a church through his word, I continue to, I've continued to come back to the, over and over again to this word, joy. So, so my aim, my hope over these next number of weeks through this Advent season, my aim as we move toward Christmas is that your joy in Christ would increase. John 15, in John 15, John, Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to flourish and be fruitful as they remain attached to him. We talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. And then Jesus says, as the Father loves me, so I love you. And then he says this, John 15, verse 11. I've told you all these things, Jesus says, that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. That's our aim, a fullness of joy. So more than nostalgia, more than warm family memories, more than familiar traditions, although I want all of those things for us, my main desire is for you in the coming weeks that your joy might be full. So we framed out our Advent series underneath that banner, under that one simple word. As an aside, we've also received a number, a generous number of copies of this little Advent devotional from Desiring God, um, The Dawning of Indestructible Joy. They're at the back counter. Um, The mugs and coasters and stickers and stuff that are for sale for the building project. On that table on the other side are these books, and these are absolutely free for you. We'd love for you to take them. Um, We have at least one per family. If you're visiting with us and you're like, what's that? Take one with you um, for your, you know, reading around the dinner table. Each day is like a page and a half of a devotional thought and a piece of scripture to point us towards Jesus. Um, So these are for you. Please take one um, when when you leave um, as part of this. I think they begin Friday, this coming Friday, December 1st is the first like day of reading and takes you from the 1st through the 25th. Um, But for today, we're going to read, look at just a few verses from the first chapter of John's gospel. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up and it looks like a couple of folks are coming around from our strike team and can get you a Bible so you can follow along. John chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 14 through 16, just a few verses. Um, We're going to read it and then I'd like to unpack it a little bit this morning. So let me read it. Uh, The Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This is God's holy word for us this morning. Now, last year at this time, if you were here at all, 
Uh, you might remember we looked at John chapter 1, verse 14, and we broke up each of the little segments of the verse and kind of tackled each one per week. And so here's a shameless plug. If you're interested in diving into verse 14, you can listen to all of that on our website from last year, um, where we can get a little bit uh, deeper into those, deeper dive into verse 14. For our time today, I primarily just want to look at verse 16. And this will work as kind of a springboard to the other things that we'll look at in other parts of Scripture over the next number of weeks. Let me just read verse 16 again. For from his fullness, John writes, we have all received grace upon grace. So the question, a simple question I want to ask this morning is, what have we received in Jesus? And John's answer to our question from the text is this, that from the fullness of Jesus... We have received grace upon grace. So the big idea is this. If there's a takeaway, you need something for the top of your notes, here it is. In Jesus, we have received overwhelming and unending grace. In Jesus, we have received overwhelming and unending grace. And so our our flow this morning is just going to walk through verse 16. Three components that we see in this one sentence. First, let's look at the first one. It's from the fullness of Christ that we've received grace upon grace. So question number one or the first thing is, what, what, what does John mean by the fullness of Christ? Now, this could be a, a whole standalone sermon by itself, but we're just going to give a little snapshot. John, John says, Jesus, who is the eternal word of God, be, be, who became flesh and dwelt among us, we've seen his glory, verse 14, full of grace and truth. What does John mean when he says that we have seen his glory? Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Well, briefly, if you go back just a few verses to the beginning of John's gospel, he says this, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what John's saying here is that Jesus, the eternal word, the logos, the eternal word of God was with God and was God and all things were created through him. Not anything made was made outside of him making it. That's what John is saying. So so John is saying briefly, that the eternal Son is not created. His human body was created, His human nature was created, but the eternal Son is not created. That's important. Because then when Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, he, speaking of Jesus, is what Paul writes, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Paul is reiterating what John just told us. The firstborn of all creation, the God-man, the created human Jesus, fully man, And the uncreated, eternal Son, fully God. The eternal Son of God taking on human 
flesh, is before all things, creates all things. And as Paul says just a little bit later in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, he's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So not only did Jesus create everything out of his mouth in coming as a human and dying and raising again from the dead, he is now ruler and has authority even over death itself, Paul says, so that in everything he might be preeminent, nothing above him. And then Paul continues in verse 19 of Colossians 1. Here's, how, here's why it's connected. You're like, why did you go there? Here's why I get, went there. Colossians 1 verse 19. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's that word again. In Christ Jesus, the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says it this way. He's the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, the reason I, I, I'm kind of packaging all this together is when we read a, a verse like from his fullness, I want us to get a little glimpse of what that actually means what Paul and John and the writer of Hebrews are trying to help us see. So that when you and I read in Luke's account, Luke chapter 2, right? The angels appear to shepherds out in the field and they say, you're going to go find a baby wrapped in a blanket in a food trough for animals that peaceful, silent, uncrying night. At least according to the Christmas carols, right? You're going to go find this cute little baby. I don't want us to miss the fact that when Luke says, you're going to go find this cute little baby, that what they are going to find is the awesome majesty of the fullness of God contained in the human flesh of the Son of Mary. To not miss that somehow. To not forget and kind of gloss over the divine majesty of Jesus Christ, the Son. Because John starts his gospel here reminding us that it's from the fullness of Jesus. Nothing held back, nothing lacking. Jesus plus nothing from his fullness, John says. So I just want us to to start there. And a question that I've asked as we begin this season of Advent is this, is Jesus enough? Is Is he sufficient? Are we satisfied with the giver and not only the gifts that he can give us? Friends, it's from his fullness That's the first part. Here's the second part. It's from his fullness, John says, that we have received. Right? Like a good preacher, we can turn one sentence into three points. And so we're doing that today. Here's the second one. We have received. Because I want to emphasize both the fullness of Jesus and have us not miss it. We are recipients We receive something. Kids in the room and kids at heart. Be honest. You're already thinking about Christmas gifts, aren't you? I know this because we've had the conversations in our own house, right? There's like the little chatter of like, wouldn't it be cool if? Right? Grandmas are already asking, can you please send us the list of what the kids want or need or what's their sizes, right? This is this is already happening. And and you could be an adult in the room and be like, I'm kind of looking forward to it too. That's okay. Because we, we know what it's like to be a kid, right? 
And, and it's actually really fascinating when you, when you look at some of the like sociological data, almost across the board, across socioeconomic lines, across cultural lines, almost without fail, when a gift of the possibility of a gift is involved, almost in any context, it almost always, I think it's human nature, stirs some level of anticipation. doesn't matter what it's for, Christmas, birthdays, anniversaries, certain other special occasions. When there's an anticipation of something to be received, the heart starts to actually like anticipate it, right? Now, for the record, I, I really enjoy giving gifts. Maybe you're like me, like if you pick out something for someone and, and like they open it and they love it and it's perfect and you're like, I did it, you know, like, and w- but what's going on there? Like, I knew, I, I knew you'd like this. When, when Amy and I talk about even gifts for our kids, the things that's, that most often leave our mouths are one of two phrases. Either, you know, I think she could really use that or, or I think he would really like that, right? Like that's, those are the sorts of things that come out of our mouths. Why? Because there's a directional nature to our love that shows up in our giving. And I think the same is true of Christ. There's a recipient in mind. Colossians 1 verse 19. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then Paul says in verse 20, for, uh, and through him, so the fullness dwells in him and he's got a purpose to it, through him to reconcile to himself all things. So, so in Jesus, in his fullness, he came to reconcile, to reconcile a creation that is marred and cursed by sin, reconcile that creation to himself. And so, so maybe this is, this is obvious, but I want John to make it really, but I think John wants to make it really clear that it's from his fullness that we have received. Don't forget the we have received part. We're not bringing like the best gift to the party here. We bring nothing and we leave with a bounty of riches. And here's the problem. There's a lot of us that have a really tough time actually receiving. We don't receive well. I don't know why that is all the time. Is it personality? Is it our cultural self-sufficiency? Like someone wants to help us or someone wants to bless us and our first response is, no, I'm good, right? I think we are terrible, terrible receivers sometimes. And here's at least one way that I think, reason why we might be. In James chapter four, James asks a question. He says this, James four, verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, now James is warning against this fixation on earthly things that cause tension with one another. But I think he's onto something here that I'm going to stretch just a little and say, I think he's also pressing on a little bit of a problem that we can have internally as well. We might not have quarrels with one another about our discontentment, but we for sure have internal discontentment and we're almost quarreling within sometimes, aren't we? An internal dissatisfaction with life that we might not ever actually let show on the outside. We might not let it outwardly affect 
our relationships, at least if we can help it. Because maybe we're not asking the right person or maybe we are asking for the wrong things. Our desires and our asks and our seeing ourselves as recipients is all out of whack. I can fall victim to this sometimes. I'm sure you can as well. Like if, I, if, if things are tough or, or I think I know the solution, this is when it really comes up. I think I know the solution to the problem. And so my prayers sound like this. Lord, will you just do what I think you should do? Amen. And then I'm upset or I get discouraged or discontentment when he doesn't like bow to my will. <laughs> right? Rather than asking him for what he desires is best for his glory and for my greater joy. So the question is, why is it hard for us to be on the receiving end? Why is that? Do we desire the wrong things? Are we too independent or self-sufficient? Are we discontent with the things that God offers? Now, C.S. Lewis, um, in one of what I think is one of his more brilliant pieces of, of writing in The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis gives a little snapshot which I find both helpful and um, difficult. Here's why. Let me read it to you. Lewis says this, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Lewis closes, we are far too easily pleased. Perhaps it's not that our desires are too strong, but that they're too weak. I think that's what James is pressing on. And so I think Lewis and James and What John's doing here is reminding us, kind of setting us up here to desire and be satisfied with something greater. John 1 says, from his fullness, we have received, what? This is the third and final part to our text today. This is the source of infinite or as John Piper would say, indestructible joy. He says, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. If you'll allow me just briefly to illustrate it for you, you get grace, and then you get grace on top of that grace, and then more grace on top of that, and then some more, and then some more, and then, by the way, more grace. Do do you see the, the picture? In the words of Lewis, the unblushing promises of reward, the staggering nature of the rewards that are promised us in the gospel. We're given this gift of grace. And then, to add to that gift, we get more grace. And there's more on top of that. It kind of sounds like the rewards that Jesus talks about in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. To those who have, more will be given. That's what's happening here. You have some grace. How about some more grace? 
This is my mother-in-law asking me at dinner on Thursday, are you sure you've had enough food? We also have pie. Right? Like this is, this is the picture. Now, what is grace? Simply this. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is not something that we can earn without merit. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace, here it is, as a gift. It's a gift. And we receive it, Paul says, by faith. So so grace is a gift we receive by faith in Christ. That's the, the foundational block, if you will, is that we are given the gift of grace. We receive it by faith in Christ. By his blood, we are washed clean. We are justified. We are redeemed. First and foremost, the foundational block of grace that we get is Jesus. We get him. And from that, we are able to build on this source of now unquenchable joy. And that's, that's my aim, my hope, as we work through Advent here a little bit, is kind of two things will be more true of us as a people on the back end of this than maybe they even are now. Two things that I hope are more true of us. Here's the first one, that no tragedy or hardship will be able to shake you to such a degree that you will lose your foundational joy in Christ. I want that for you. And two, I want for you that every other joy that you and I might experience and receive in this life will be an opportunity to worship as we stack it up on top of all the other goodnesses of God that he's given us, all the undeserved kindness. Here's here's what I mean by that. First, on the one hand, there are all kinds of griefs that you and I are going to bear. I'm not trying to be like Debbie Downer on this, but life is hard sometimes. Even just in the past two weeks, I've had two separate encounters with people that have, that have reminded me of this reality. Uh, one uh, person just dealing with the demons of addiction and how to fight those. And, and another, uh, another friend of mine just working through the grief of aggressive cancer in a family member. There are those among us right now who who are feeling sadness and loneliness of various kinds, loved ones who aren't with them anymore, that maybe you felt all too acutely this last week as you gathered with family, and part of what you realized is there are people who used to be here who are not here, and a hundred other things that can cause us to weep. And this is not out of some like religious Christianese, like fake thing, but a genuine solid hope that I have for you, that there is still joy to be found even in the dark, that at the bottom of the deepest hole, there's joy because the one who made all things and holds together all things, the one who made you, the one who knows you, the one who sees you is the one who out of his fullness loves you as he is loved by the father and he's enough. That's the first thing, that our joy would not be able to be shaken when we walk through those valleys of darkness and death. And second, 
The other thing I want for us is that we will not be so consumed with earthly things that it draws our hearts away from eternal things. Now, I, I want to be careful. I don't want us to, to, to shun celebration out of some misguided sense of piety. Like we always have to feel like woe is us and we always have to take the cheapest, poorest, saddest route because that's what Jesus would do. He didn't ever have a home. He just, you know, walked around in the same sandals. We need to be careful about going into that hole as well because I actually want us to receive and celebrate every good thing that we receive as a gift from God. Every good thing is an opportunity for praise. And so, like an expertly designed piece of engineering, every good thing that God blesses us with and puts into our lives, we might be able to stack up deliberately one grace on top of another so that we might be able to point to every good thing and say, look at the undeserved kindness of God. Isn't he worthy of our worship? Because when we are sure of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus, I think we can look at every grace of God as proof of his goodness. And I truly believe that we are able to have both clear and thankful heart toward every good thing in our lives and that we will be able to persevere in trial and even face death with supernatural courage. Why? Because we are now anchored to something that is unshakable. We actually have an unshakable joy. From the fullness of Christ Jesus, we have and are receiving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You don't have to turn there. Um, as we close, and in my preparation for today, I was reminded of the story from the book of Joshua, chapter 4. I um, encourage you to read it this week in, in your downtime. Essentially, God's people are, are finally, finally going to cross over the Jordan River into the land that God has promised them. It's been a generation in the making. And the Lord instructs the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their poles to stand in the Jordan River, go ankle knee deep in the water, and as they do, the Lord backs up the water of the Jordan so that all of these millions of people can cross the river on dry ground. So they do this. And then the Lord tells Joshua to get one man from every tribe of Israel and go back to where those priests are standing in the riverbed and pull up a stone. Bring that stone to the other side that you've crossed over to and stack it up. Here's what Joshua says, Joshua 4, verses 21 and 22. He said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. The reason this came to mind, because my hope is over the next couple of weeks, that you and I are able to do some stone stacking of our own. That we might be able to stack up some of these graces upon graces that have been given to us in Jesus, that we're the recipients of. So that as we look at next week, we'd look at Jesus who came to serve us and to meet our greatest need. This is his grace to us that he would come and serve us in this way. 
that we'd consider that Jesus is born a child so that you and I could be born again. To have life not just here, but life to come. That we'd look and be able to receive the reality that we're actually reconciled to God. What does that actually mean? That we are now right with God in Christ. And to receive the reality that the kind of peace that Jesus brings us is not a peace that is absent from difficulty, but it is a shalom. It is a peace that exists in the midst of trial. This Advent, my hope is that we remember and celebrate that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is born for our eternal joy. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the kindness you show in sending your son at the right time to bring lost, rebellious enemies from death to life, from enemy to son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for for who you are. That out of your fullness, you give. And it's out of your fullness we have received. First and foremost among your graces is your gift of faith. And your salvation. Pray you'd cause our hearts to well with worship and gratitude as we come to the communion table. That from your fullness we have received grace upon grace upon grace. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.